Hey, welcome back to the Level Edit Podcast, a game design and games industry podcast. Uh, today we'll be talking about self-confidence and building your motivation. Today I'm joined by two of our lovely co-hosts. Hi, I'm Glenn. Um, I'm kind of a software engineer slash occasional maker of things that might be called games at some point in time. Uh, I'm Dan. I'm a solo dev for maybe later games. And I'm currently working on a narrative adventure project called Anachronist. And I'm Nida. I do all things games, UX and a bit of business stuff. So today's topic is more about taking care of yourself. So in the context of confidence, loneliness and encouraging your own self-development. So we'll be talking about our own situations and then some tips on how you can build a good daily routine, some bad patterns you can avoid and... Um, and some things that get in the way of our confidence. So I thought it'd be good if we just start off with our personal experiences with self-development and, yeah, our sense of self in this volatile, crazy, awesome industry. Uh, Okay, yeah, so I've been habitually bad at pretty much everything to do with self-care. I kind of came out of uni really burnt out, spent a while looking for a job, I went through some stuff with stress that eventually ended up me having me go to the hospital because I wasn't sure if it was stress or if I had like heart problems, things like that. After that, however, I got hired by a startup and that helped a lot with that kind of things. Obviously, if you're working at a job that you need to travel to, it kind of burns through all your time in the day. So for me, I wanted, I've, I've always kind of wanted to do both, um, have a stable job and do my own things. A lot of times that's hard because I'm very bad at multitasking on things. I tend to want to focus on one project at a time or um, because otherwise I can find that you can end up feeling like both aren't going the way you want them to do. Um, So now I kind of do that. I do uh, software engineering in my workplace and I do the occasional game stuff at home, Uh, just not as much as I used to. Um, I normally find these days I have to get like a game jam or like um, I did a game a day recently that really helped me kind of push through and getting stuff out there rather than just floundering on one thing. Um, so it's been a mixed bag and I'm still going with stuff. I think a lot of the stuff I've had recently have been, has been pretty good. I've just had kind of a dry spell um, this month because I've been playing a lot more games and if I'm playing games and going to work like there's no free time for anything else. Um, so I've actually spent a few years working from home, um, often on my own for quite long periods of time. At the moment, I, like I said, I'm with Maybe Later Games, which is me. I am Maybe Later. That's just me. <laughs> <laughs> so for the past year and a half, I've been working on Anachronist, and I have been working with a writer on that. So it's been nice to have somebody to bounce ideas off, especially with writing, I find. It's the one discipline that I look at something and I don't know, I don't know if it's good or bad or ugly or anywhere in between. Uh, with art, you can usually see, mm, done like that, that looks a bit off. But yeah, writing, whew, I'm very glad that I have the help with this one. Um, so it has been nice to have somebody um, helping me out on the team. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we're always chatting, you know. Um, 
So a lot of the work I will be doing on my own, and she is only doing the writing portion of things. So any of the of, of the other bits, getting the art together, doing all of the coding, that's just me. So <laughs> it can be um, very challenging to say, stay disciplined and to stay motivated and to keep in healthy habits. Um, I think uni as well can... I feel like uni undid me. <laughs> when, I was, when I was in high school, I was fine. You know, I had very good uh, sleeping pattern, and uh, I had very busy. I had very long school days, but because I'd be doing stuff before the school, and then I'd be doing stuff at lunch times, and I'd be doing stuff afterwards, and I'd be doing stuff in the evenings as well. But I didn't feel tired or worn out or anything. And then you get to uni, you're in charge of your own timetable. If you're tired, you just lie in. You don't even go to that lecture. <laughs> and there was a lot of bad habits that I picked up at uni. So, yeah, that's kind of my current situation at the moment. That's an interesting thing you said about uni, Dan, um, because a lot of my stuff happened at uni as well. So I've generally been someone that's pretty shy and low in confidence. Um but at uni, when I had my games job, that helped me a lot, like, improving that stuff. And I was kind of in a position where people were like, yeah, you're going to do cool things, you're really smart, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now, what, a year and a half after graduating uni, I still don't have a job in games. Um, and I, that's not to blame anyone. Um, but that's kind of, it's kind of a complete reversal where I was, like, three years ago. Um, and that has kind of messed with my confidence to some degree, um, which is understandable, but I am working towards fixing that. Um, so now I do go to events in London and I'm trying to embed myself within the London community, which is a really big games community. Um, I didn't realise how big it was. Um, but that's kind of where I am now. Um, I'm also writing an article on unemployment and mental health for a game scene. Is it a scene or a zine? Um, yeah, so it's a sign for game developers. Um, and I'm writing about what unemployment can do to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's not the most upbeat topic. Um, but yeah, I thought this was an interesting topic for the podcast, not from the perspective of mental health, though I think mental health can influence the things we're going to be talking about. But this isn't about diagnosis and about treatment of mental health. It's more about how our outside experiences and internal motivations and things like that can impact how we navigate the opportunities we get and the things that we build. Um, and one of those examples is, or one of the repercussions you see is that sometimes we fall into bad habits um, and stay away from like our healthy routines. So I don't know if you guys have any experiences of building a good routine or any pitfalls you've faced along the way. Yeah, I think a lot of things are very similar, maybe not so much as they're exactly the same scenario, um, especially with, like, the how I see it in my mind is um, if I'm really hungry, I tend to crave sugary foods, um, but the craving is, like, larger if I've had sugary foods recently. So if I've been off for a while, it won't be as bad, but it might just be if I'm really hungry, I snack on it, and then... The more sugary foods I eat, the more I crave that when I'm hungry or feeling bad or whatever reason I might have. And um, I think a lot of things tend to be like that. Like after you get away from them for a while, they're not as bad. 
but they're always in the back of your mind kind of thing. Um, I can't really speak for, for massive addictions of things. Um, like I smoked occasionally, but I've never been too heavily into it. And uh, I probably I play a lot of games. I could probably consider myself addicted to, addicted to games. Um, but sometimes I find like the real reason is the real reason is probably the thing worth uh, tackling. So with games, it's normally like if I hit like a snag in like a problem that I don't have like a perfect solution to. That's especially with programming. Like sometimes the solutions to things are really messy. Um, and that's not always about things. Most of the time, the way to get through something is just implement the messy version and then look and see what you can do to tidy it up a bit. Um, but it can definitely be a trigger, especially for like personal products, but there's not so much of a team stake in it. Um, it can be something to, Ooh, excuse me, something that's hard to, uh, to tackle. Um, Sometimes it's just like knowing that these things are, you're doing these things because of a certain reason. Like nowadays I don't tend to drink sugar if I'm hungry or like I don't buy donuts if I'm hungry because they're not food, they're just craving. Um, I think the older you get, the easier it is to recognize that ironically. I think uni I just ate tons and tons of like snacks and things. And... Yeah, I think when you get older, your body starts to retaliate a little bit more <laughs> with what you're yeah. eating. It's like, oh, why do I feel sick? What's that, the sugar? <laughs> so, yeah, I could see that. That's good that you like sort of know how to break out of it. I think that's the most important thing with like the bad habits. First of all, you have to recognize them, and then you have to figure out, like you said, the triggers. You have to figure out the point that gets you into that behavior, and then you kind of have to think of what your exit strategy is. It sounds stupid because it sounds like you're making a flowchart or something, but I think a lot of behavior is flowcharts, really. You have some, you know, impulse, some sort of, what's the word? There's some sort of trigger that sort of leads you to do an action, and then, like with gaming, you'd be doing that action for how long? When do you leave? I used to I used to be terrible with games. I'd be like, I will go to bed when I win. Yeah. Don't ever do that. Ever do that. <laughs> that is a long late night. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No. I um it's just difficult. Like I recognise that I want the exit point to be when I feel satisfied with the game and normally that is I have win a game and then I feel satisfied and I'll leave but really if I look at my flow chart that could either never happen or that happens maybe in two three hours time and it's like you know if you've got to be up in the morning you're starting to screw up the rest of your uh, week just because of one silly little erratic behavior basically so I think making exit points from bad behavior is also super important um, you know, maybe if it's if you've lost certain games, a number of games in a row, or if you have that mentality, you just say to yourself, no, that's it, I have to just switch this off right now. I think, yeah, there's a lot of ways you can go about it. Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest point, like, so this is a trigger point, um, like, you know, it's harder to think straight if you're hungry about buying things that your body is telling you will satisfy that hunger. And I think the same thing with everything else. Um, like, most of the reason I find, like, getting away from foods so easy is because like I normally have to go out to the shops to to do these things and during the process of walking there 
I realize in my head, like, why am I doing this? I just walked 10 minutes to buy, like, an entire can of Coke and down it in one session. Like, so that I don't actually find that bad these days. It's more like if something's really convenient to do, like, if I'm in a, a if I've been programming for, like, six hours and I hit a problem and I'm like, oh, I could just play, like, a couple of games or something. Then I just boot it up and it's there in, like, 30 seconds. I'm into something completely different. So I have that, like, less time to recognize what I'm doing. Um, so I think, yeah, like you said, the hardest part is, like, the trigger point. Because, like, especially when you're at low, you know, if, if you've given so many fucks to give uh, per day on that day and you're all out of fucks to give, and then you're like, oh, I could do this instead. It's really hard at that point in time to realize what you're doing. That's so interesting what you said there. I remember reading once that apparently motivation is a finite resource. <laughs> and I was mulling that over my head for like a week. I was like, is that true? Surely not. But it just made me wonder, you know, if you've put so much work into, say, if you've been working hard, like you said, for six hours, you've been concentrating all that time. Do you just run out of willpower? Is that a thing that happens? Or is it more just like, eh, it's easier if I stop now? Yeah, I think, so adding on to that quote, I think it's, you know, motivation is finite, but self-discipline isn't. That's kind of what you need to rely on in situations when you're feeling low or you don't feel that motivated. Um, so that's kind of a piece of advice I've tried to take on. Um, and, and I think with anything we're going to be talking about, it's understanding that all of this is a process. So, you know, there are going to be moments where you fall down, Um but it's more about, okay, what do I do with that information and that experience to come back from it? Um, so there's a concept in psychology where you look at the gross mindset versus the fixed mindset. And the fixed mindset is where people who say the way I am is set in stone. It's about my innate ability and I can't fix anything. Whereas people with the gross mindset who, like, do better generally overall, um believe that it's through learning and taking your own steps that you will do better and be better. Um, and it's based on like a variety of studies. Like when people are in uni, those that do better tend to have the gross mindset because they're taking charge of their work and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's that thing of like always pushing yourself if you can, if you're in a position where you can encourage yourself to be better. Um, assuming you can control some outside resources or not, it's working on yourself to be better going along. I know that's how I see it anyway. I think that's really interesting. And that those people excel more. I think it makes a lot of sense, definitely. On the topic of, you know, daily routines, I find that my sleeping schedule is the one that sort of fluctuates the most. Since I'm at home, you know, there's no, I don't need to have an alarm clock, as it were, because I just get up whenever I'll go to bed whenever it's not too big a deal but um <laughs> at the moment I find that I'm in this cycle of my motivation's not great so I'm not doing the work that I need to be doing for that day so then I'm like ooh, it's really late it's like 2 a.m and I've still not done this thing that I need to work on I should definitely finish that before tomorrow so then the fallacy is that if I spend the next two hours coding, then that's great because I did everything that I need to do technically before I went to bed. And then um, I'll just get up later tomorrow. 
but really that's just pushing tomorrow's work further back because that means I'm going to be getting up later and honestly uh, you know how well can you really concentrate like going on to 4 a.m so <laughs> I yeah that was one thing I had to recognize that I could stay up late and finish something and it'd be done but realistically I'd probably be better off just turning it off going to bed and then getting up earlier and then finishing it in the morning instead of punishing myself for not doing the stuff that I planned to do that day I'll just push it push it back 24 hours and then you know come come at it with um, a fresh mind in the morning where you know I do tend to be able to work through my problems a little bit faster around mid-afternoon so and less errors I make so many mistakes at night <laughs> I know we're talking about ourselves but do you have like people in your life or people you go to to ensure you stay connected or help boost you up keep you motivated as you go along because I think building a strong social network is great for motivation um, and general discipline for your day-to-day tasks because it gives you part of a reason to go ahead knowing that you know you have people around you who are going to help you through it. Yeah I mean I'm very introverted Uh, I do enjoy using Twitter though for posting stuff Um, even just posting stuff if it's just a work in progress it kind of annoys me now that I can't post my work stuff because most of it's under NDA. Um, and I like seeing what other people have done. Uh, I think Twitter can be a little intimidating at first because there's so many good people on there. But after a while, it, it's it's nice to have somewhere where you can see that other people are actually doing stuff. And if you do stuff, other people kind of recognize it in some capacity. I mean, I think that can be good, but I also think... People can be very cutting, especially on the internet. You know, it's the wild, wild web out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't have like two million followers, so <laughs> yeah, everyone's everyone's nice at the moment. Um, <laughs> so I should never get famous or make anything. Or just block the dissenting voices as you go along. <laughs> just bring down the ban hammer. Yeah, I think it can be good, but I think it's also kind of. I think it's a bad idea to, for that to be your sole source of motivation. Other people saying that your stuff looks great, especially with game development. I have stuff and it does not look great for a long time. You know, this was a script for a year. <laughs> no one's going to tell me your script looks pretty because you can't read it. Do you know what I mean? I feel like especially when you're trying to post stuff that you've created, if you tell someone about a mechanic in words, that's not going to be very impressive. If you have a a GIF where it looks amazing or even just a GIF showing it, then people will really react and respond to it. But again, it might look like crap. You might not even be able to understand what's going on because you've got such a reduced form of art. And art is definitely one of the things that can come last. And when you're working in a small team or an indie team or whatever, I think, you know, normally the people who are doing the art are also the people who are doing the rest of the game. And it's all well and good having the art before you've coded anything, but um, you might want to get the prototype out of the way first, otherwise the art will be for nothing if it doesn't really work out. So, yeah, I, I've tried posing about my project, and it doesn't... I'm not trying to sound bitter. Do I sound bitter? <laughs> uh, no, no, I think <laughs> the point you raise is a very valuable point. Like, some things you can be working on, especially for a long time, but not really have a visual output for it. Yeah, and it just doesn't respond... The internet responds to you know instant stuff look at vine seven seconds that's all you've got yeah so you know and a, a picture tells a thousand words so 
you know, you could read my script in seven pictures. <laughs> I mean, I I do think that the inverse is uh, valuable. That by reducing something down to a merely visual form, it allows you to focus in on what makes that visual form so appealing, and doesn't necessarily need to be. Oh, I have a billion pound artist working on this project. It could just be the way something feels in the visuals of the game, or it could be the way certain art elements or UI elements or whatever it is you're working on are kind of mixed together. So I think, you know, there are definitely some things that will fall short in GIF form or video form or image form, but there's also some things that will allow you to focus on what it is specifically that makes this GIF look good from this other person's game. Maybe I can put that into my game and yeah, absolutely. I'm not undermining it at all. The stuff that does get shown looks amazing. I've joined a few Facebook groups um, for digital artists. I was looking for commissions. And also, I just wanted to have, you know, prettier stuff on my Facebook feed. <laughs> and the stuff on there is, like, phenomenal. It absolutely blows my mind. I love seeing that stuff. And people respond to it very well. And they do, like, end up with lots of likes and that. Um, so it makes sense. I just think that's how the internet consumes media content as it were yeah so it can be bad if you're <laughs> just looking for people to say oh, it's amazing it's amazing because they're going to be people that you know do not say it looks amazing or you know something just gets looked over brushed aside and that can be bad as well you know if you've posted something and you're like poured my heart and soul into this here you are and then it's like yeah zero likes yeah it's just like um so yeah i think you have to it's fine to post it, but also don't expect anything and don't feel bad if like it doesn't pick up. Yeah, you need like a you need essentially your own group of like people you either know in real life and respect or like you just respect each other's work. Because then it's always like you can kinda know that people are gonna certain people are gonna always gonna like your stuff. Because there's like that mutual respect between you that like they're liking the cool stuff that you put out and you're liking the cool stuff that they put out. But yeah, if you don't have that, you can just be putting out something and then like it's kind of dead in the void because... Yeah, which feels bad, but you still do, should do it anyway. Even if it's in the void, whatever. Like sometimes it's not going to be in the void. Sometimes it will pick up traction and, you know, it's all media attention, isn't it? If you want, it's it's free marketing. So whatever, just <laughs> post it and it either works or it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it can, it's very easy to be disheartened when your tweet or piece of media doesn't gain traction, especially when we're in, like, a hyper-media environment on, like, a daily basis where you're, like, checking your phone or people are just online for hours at a time. Um, and I can see how that can plummet or have a negative impact on your self-confidence. But, you know, one of the things about marketing strategies is they rely on stuff like consistency. Um, that's a good way to grow your following. So it's like, okay, maybe this tweet didn't work. Let's look at the Twitter analytics and see, okay, but what was the views like? Was the engagement like? Let's see what my top tweets like were like for my company and then kind of use that information that you got out of it. So even if the tweet didn't do well, you still got some information from it that you can use to then do something better. And I say that in quotes. I mean, better as in gains more traction next time or it's more suitable towards your target market. Um, yeah, and it's saying and understanding that that's not a reflection on yourself if things don't go as great. You know, especially when you are on a small indie team, you're probably doing a bunch of different roles. So maybe you worked on the game and did the social media, so you might take it more personally 
if things don't go as great. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry for spending a long time on Twitter here, but I wouldn't take that approach individually. Um, obviously, if you're a company, you should care more about that sort of stuff. But if you're an individual, um, rather than just looking at it as this kind of analytics game, I just think of it like if if you're doing stuff, like let people know that you're doing stuff. If and one of the things I really enjoyed was like if I followed a tutorial by somebody. I would like when I was posting about it on Twitter. I would look up the guy person on Twitter and put their at. And most of the time, like they'd, they'd retweet it, they'd like it, or whatever. Because it was just me saying like, "Hey, I did this awesome thing from following this awesome tutorial," and there was like a mutual appreciation there. And I think, especially if you're going for like just creative posts, that kind of thing is the most important thing. Like, go out and find other people and like their stuff and. Um, and if you're using something from somebody else, tell them, like, if you just, even if you're just using a reference, you can always mention them because it's not really like, like, unless you're being very insidious about it, like if you're just, if you're just posting it because you did use their con, like their idea or their tutorial or whatever, then all you're doing is letting people know about the stuff you've made. You're not trying to convert them or anything. I think that's a really nice idea. I remember you mentioned that to me a few weeks back, and I started doing it as well. There's some books that I read on UI and UX about. They're on the Humble Bundle store, and um, yeah, I think the guy that um, that wrote them uh, or wrote one of them, and and they got a reply. <laughs> and then one of the videos that we used to help informers of this podcast, one of the conversations we were having, I think it was the lady who was talking about AI. Um, I thanked her for a GDC talk, and she replied. So, yeah, it's nice. And also, that's what you would like to have someone do to you one day. Yeah. So I think it's like, you know, karma or whatever they call it. <laughs> I think it's interesting what you're saying about, you know, using Twitter as an individual versus using Twitter as a company, because I am an individual, but I also feel like I am the company. Yeah. So for me, I do find that it's pretty hard to separate those two worlds. And I am, you know, looking at analytics and reach and putting every hashtag under the sun. But, um, yeah, I think, like you said, on an individual level where there's sort of no pressure, it's, yeah, nice to sort of share among friends and peers. But for me, that's, I, I don't know, that's not what I see it for. That's marketing. And if it doesn't get retweets, then I need to rethink my strategy. That, yeah, that's just my take on it. Yeah, I mean, other places where it's good for support networks, yeah, a bit more real life. Um, game jams are pretty good. You can meet a lot of people there, like monthly meetups, weekly meetups, uh, co-working spaces are all great places to A, find people, and also find people on Twitter and things like that. Have you used um, co-working spaces before? Uh, I haven't used co-working spaces, actually. I've kind of looked into them, and most of the time they've been like, pay us £200 a month to come work in our place, and I'd just be like, I just want to turn up and work in the same room as some people for like an evening, maybe. <laughs> um, and I, I haven't really seen anything that casual yet. Yeah, it can be hard, because obviously you need to have the office space there. I considered getting into the habit of doing all this like going to the library, using the library. And I was like, if I went to the library, I would not have all the stuff I need. I need to, I would need to take my computer, the Wi-Fi. They, do they have Wi-Fi at the library? My public library in my town, I'm not even confident that that would be the case. I remember going on those computers and it was like, <laughs> took about 60 seconds to open a Word document. It was um, interesting. So, yeah, I decided that that wasn't going to be ideal for me. And 
you know, if you were to set all your stuff up out there, then you probably would need to keep all your stuff over there. I've got two monitors. I've got um, I've got the tower as well. I'm not on a laptop. I don't find laptops are fast enough for the sort of work that I'm having to do, where you're having to compile scripts all the time and constantly run stuff. It would just really slow down um, development time. So I don't always think it's that practical in this sort of field. Depends what you know what you're working on, but also I wouldn't want to keep my computer over there because I also use this when I'm not working. You know, I've got my games and stuff on here, and to have two computers, one for work and one for gaming, I'd want them both pretty high end because, like I said, you don't want to be compiling for hours, and at the same time, you don't want to be running on the lowest graphic settings. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know. I I thought about it, and I'm like, I don't know if it would be right for me. Sadly, well, I think. So co-working spaces are great. I've only used one once, and that was for like a day uh, with the Dev Space London group uh, who put on a bunch of events for people in London. Um, and that was really nice and productive for work. Um, so co-working, I think, anyway, is great just for like being around people and keeping yourself inspired and motivated. Um, but with a lot of... So when we talk about tips and tricks later on on how to improve your confidence... A lot of it does come from like a place of privilege. Um, sorry to get too PC or whatever. Um, but generally, like having the money or the access to certain resources that will help you reach your certain goals that can help you be confident later on. Um, and I think co working spaces are an example of that, where they're great, but they're pricey. So sometimes it's weighing up what you value more. Um, and like you were saying earlier, Glenn, about Twitter, like Twitter is pretty great for keeping in touch with people as well. Um, and that can kind of give you some momentum to keep going, especially when you're following people that do work like yours or people who, you know, drop your comments sometimes and say, hey, you're doing great things. So I think I agree with Dan also with the point of, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. It's finding different support networks and different support res resources as you go along to build your sense of self and your confidence. Yeah, and I mean, definitely, like, I think... Yeah, I think it gets a little easier as you grow older just because there's not as much pressure to do things and also yeah like you said like going to stuff is probably a lot of the best ways to meet people um, for that aspect of it and I think a lot of the times like you can really not want to go outside just sometimes maybe it's been a shitty day or whatever but generally like every time I've gone out when I didn't want to um I've actually had a good time and I haven't regretted it. And now because I've done that a lot, I when I get that feeling of like I don't want to go out and to this thing, there's this little voice in the back of my head that says, like, well, last time we we said that and then we went and it was great. So what if we don't go this time and we miss out on something that could have been really fun, like all these people we could have met and to we could now be following on Twitter and stalking their stuff to like it because it's awesome so yeah i think like as you go to more stuff and just live longer like this stuff becomes a bit easier just because you start to realize the contrast between like the results of your actions maybe how you're harnessing the fomo <laughs> fear of missing out that's why i need to go <laughs> It's normally considered a negative thing, but anyway, I think it's right what you're saying about going outside. Like, 
a lot of people, because I'm also part of a Facebook group of um, stay-at-home game dev professionals, <laughs> which is pretty niche, I realize. But there are um, <laughs> a lot of relatable posts about, you know, if you do a meeting and your top half has clothes on, <laughs> but you're probably in your pajamas or, you know, your underwear. But it's fine because the webcam only sees that much. <laughs> um, so if you're having a conference or whatever, I have heard that that happens a lot. And if you've got a side, you have to get dressed. So I think, well, I say that. I've seen people in the supermarket in their pajamas, but let's not, let's not be those people. <laughs> but I think it's also, you know, that is a good thing to do, to have those tiny little routines there. It's like making your bed. It's kind of pointless, but then it only takes five minutes, like five seconds to do, and then you have a nice tidy bed all day. <laughs> so I do think yeah, that could be handy as well, like with what you were saying about going outside. I try to go outside on days where I'm not doing well, which sounds like ridiculous, but I don't have much reason in my life to go outside. <laughs> so, so get a bit of fresh air and a bit of sunshine is uh is good yeah i think like you like if something isn't worth it then you shouldn't feel guilty about not going Mm. like for me it's like sometimes i'm just like i don't want to go outside but this thing is worth it um and sometimes like you might just not go to the right events and like the second time around you just want don't want to go and that's fine but it's like i think you kind of recognize when there's value in something so yeah like sometimes you'll be like hey this thing's happening. I know it's worth it. I enjoyed it last time. I like all the people. Don't want to move. I'm going to grab myself out of bed <laughs> and go. Because it only happens once a month anyway. Yeah, I think there's an element of picking your battles. Um, choosing what you prioritise and what you don't. And not feeling bad about it. Um, especially with time and experience. You get to know yourself a bit better. And what works for you. And that's completely fine. Um, especially with everyone having their own priorities and stuff. So I've recently been uh, reading up on, um, I don't know if she's an influencer or not, I don't know, people feel mixed about that terminology, um, but her name's Chidera. Um, so she's a really big person on Instagram and stuff, but she talks about empowerment and knowing yourself. Um, and one of the things she's spoken about is fear of loneliness, where we're in an environment, not just in games, but I think everywhere, Um where you're scared to be alone in the long run and you always feel like, you you know, there has to be people there or you feel obliged to be there for others as well in the context of like, oh, I have to go to this event because this is what's expected of me. Um, And she was talking about how it's important to value your own time and your own energy. And if you don't feel like doing something, you don't owe anyone doing it. it. You could instead spend that time better doing something to build your own self yourself and being the best person that you can be um and not really comparing yourself to others when it comes down to that because competition really doesn't do much when you're comparing yourself to others it's more about how can i be the best version of myself and potentially compete and i say that in quotes compete with myself to be somewhere where like in a year's time i'd be like yeah i'm pretty proud of who i am yeah i really agree with that like competition should be with yourself Hmm. i know like even at the gym you know i go with my friend and it's and he you know he'd be looking at what i was doing and what he was he was doing and comparing them and it's like don't compare to what i'm doing compare to what you were doing last week because that's more important you know my progress has nothing to do with your progress i could be 
faster than you now, but not faster than I was last week. And you could be faster than you were last week, but still not faster than me now. You know, if you look at the tra- trajectory, then that has more to say than the actual result of today, as it were. So I do think that's definitely an important thing. Just look inwards and don't don't compare to other people. Like it's fine to do every now and then, but yeah, that's not really that productive or healthy. Yeah, and kind of take breaks from people as well, or just the general environment. Because I think, you know, you can get to a point where you might start obsessing or it's negatively impacting your health. Um, so something I see a lot of developers do is just take Twitter breaks for a week or for a month. And when they come back, they're like, yeah, I feel a bit refreshed now. Um, because Twitter can be pretty unhealthy. I mean, you're not just seeing the game dev stuff. You're also seeing what's happening in the news. Um, and it can be pretty demoralizing to see that on a regular basis. And then on top, if you're a developer who has a lot of community contact, you might have a, a lot of negative feedback too. Um, so yeah, it just comes back to the thing of, you know, you don't owe everyone to be tweeting every day or to be online every day, like outside of your job and stuff. Um, and I know it's hard, especially when you're working in a creative environment where it's important to be present all the time, or at least show your face. But nothing matters more than your well-being. Yeah, I think like, as long as things are worth it to you, you should probably push yourself to do them. But like, you know, if you go to a meeting and you enjoy the meeting, but then people are like, oh, we'll go around the pub and do drinks afterwards or something. And that's not something you are into or you don't think it will be worthwhile to you because you've already spent like two hours with these people. And like, maybe that's, you know, your energy spent for the day. Uh, it's just fine to go home. You know, there's a lot of situations where like, you know, you could travel for like an hour to have like an hour thing and then not do the after things if that's the optimum time for you to, to get what you want out of that thing. Um, I think t- time spent is only valuable if it's valuable to you. I strongly agree with that. Um, and also you've got to, yeah, so it's looking at the motives of why you're going something um, and being unapolog- unapologetically you in that situation um so because just thinking about it for myself i think imposter syndrome plays a huge part in it um, i don't know about you guys and your experiences of that but like kind of when i go to a new event or meet new people i'm like i really shouldn't be here i'm with these cool developers who have done cool things and i'm just someone who has only done one or two things that you know i don't really care about um so even navigating that can be tough i don't know I'd be it's weird I would be curious to hear like what you have to say on this because I don't feel that unconfident when I go to these things I think because I did a lot of performing and you know I'd have to be on stage in front of like 300 400 people just while I was doing like going through high school you kind of have to have the confidence to do that and it has helped but I don't feel like I feel as much pressure when I go to these things I'm not sure. So I'd, I would like to do, be very interested to hear about like what you have to say on this. I think the pressure comes from internally rather than anyone else because everyone's always so welcoming. It's more like, how much do I value myself in this situation? Um, so I've been tr- trying to work away from that now. So I don't use terminology like exp- aspiring game dev or business person. I just say I am this thing by default. Uh, or when I'm doing stuff on my CV, I kind of you know write things 
in a way that shows the responsibility that I have and the commitment that I did make rather than putting myself down. So something I've changed in my CV is just putting my university experience right at the bottom of my CV and all my projects at the top. Um, because, you know, being a graduate is great, but I want to show people that I'm experienced and I've done really well. But I think even in day-to-day -day situations, sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming. But I think, like you're saying, it's probably just a practice thing. Um, and the more people you meet, the more comfortable you become. Because the thing is, no one's going to, you know, stand up for you other than yourself. You know, no one's going to sell the amazing things that you do other than yourself. And you kind of owe it to yourself to show people how great you can be, even if, you know, there are situations where you might not like yourself as much. It's Because what's, what's the worst that's going to happen, right? That's kind of the perspective I take now when I go to events is, you know, someone might just ignore me, but that's not the end of the world. On the other side, I might make a new friend or meet someone really cool. Yeah, no, I agree. I was just thinking, like, what you said about, you know, just saying what you do or have done. I think there's, there's like, a fine line to tread there. I think, like you said, if you just say what you've done and let people make up their own minds, that's, like, the optimal way of doing it, especially because some people will be, like, completely fresh and they'll think you're amazing and some people will be, like, super experienced. And as long as you're being honest, they won't think you're making up stuff. Um, as long as you have actually done stuff I think if you've done stuff, highlight it if you haven't done stuff, don't overplay yourself because people who have done stuff will kind of think that you're like just posturing I guess um, I think it's kind of obvious when somebody doesn't really know what they're talking about and so I think most people try and not be that person um, but yeah I, I tend not to have um imposter syndrome uh except maybe like <laughs> when i go to meetups and people are like so you have a podcast and i'm like uh -huh. <laughs> um but i do get outsider syndrome a little bit um if i found like a group within my event and i'm happy with that group and i look at other groups and they're like happy and smiling and talking about something completely unrelated and i'm like i don't know if i really want to go and butt in there um i know yeah that happens to me a lot. I go to these events where you're networking and you're just like, I'm just like stood like a wallflower <laughs> waiting for someone to ask me to dance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. I think the worst time it is I've, I've walked in and said hi just as like a conversation was like super private. Um, and then everyone like introduces themselves. It's just really weird because like they halted their conversation completely to talk to a stranger. But most of the time it's fine and everyone's cool. So Yeah. Again, Nida, I agree with your point about when you state your profession, you say like what you are. Cause I could be like, well, I like, you know, kind of stay at home and you know, make games. Which doesn't sound great. But then um I had to actually renew my car insurance and they asked what job I was. And I was like, I'm a self employed software engineer, which is what I am. It just <laughs> you know, that's the confident yeah. way to see it, as opposed to the is it him making games every day? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, and like changing it to be orientated towards who you're talking to, because basically everyone knows what software is, but there's going to be some people out there who don't really know much about games. As weird as it sounds. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was just because the I did say I'm a, a game developer, and they were like. Mm, we don't have that on the list. <laughs> yeah. And they went through alternatives. Yeah, I think it's ensuring that you don't sell yourself short because 
you know, people can end up seeing you in a certain way or the way you don't want them to see you. So it's like you, you've got some control of the narrative. And I don't mean that as manipulating people. I mean about you be open about what you actually do and who you are and what you want to achieve. Because selling yourself short isn't really going to help you going ahead. Yeah, and if you've got a phone and, like, you're an artist, here's a photo of my art. Or, like, if you're a programmer, like, here's a thing that I worked on. Or, uh, like, having something to hand is always handy. And phones nowadays, it's easier to save a picture or have it, like, a two-second bring it up and show them kind of thing. Yeah, so there's a game designer called Jennifer Shiola. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. So she recently moved to America and she was finding her new game design job. Um, and she did a Twitter thread on her process of undergoing these interviews. Um, and something she said she did over the different interviews was actually start the interview with her talking first and asking questions. So to her, it was really important to see if the company was a good culture fit, met my needs and met the requirements that we both had. Because, you know, everyone's got the right types of abilities, but it's more like, are we going to be able to get on with each other on a day-to-day basis? You know, and that stuff's really great. But I think where that comes from is being confident in what you want. Um, and I think you get that through knowing what you do and what you want to achieve and then applying that to the situation. And then when you negotiate different types of salary or benefits, you kind of create a list of, well, what's most important to me based on my previous experiences and me as a person? And this is what I'm going to ask the company for and see what we can come to an agreement with. Um, and that to me was just a bit crazy because I'd never heard of that type of interviewing style rather than the formal one where they ask you questions and then you ask one or two at the end. And it, the way she was talking about it made it sound like it's a holistic process, you know, a two-sided process where you're kind of interviewing each other as you go along because these are going to be your colleagues at the end of the day. So I thought that was a good example of building self-confidence as well um, and some resiliency. Yeah, definitely. And I think to some degree there, there's you have to kind of own up to what you're bad at, but also own up to what you're really good at. Like certain interviews that I go into nowadays, I know that I'm not a very strong theoretical like engine programmer, but I'm really good at like if you need something done. Uh, I can almost guarantee that I'll be able to do it, unless it's creating Skynet. I think there's a lot of ways you can visually show that, or especially if you have past work, it's very easy to show off these things um, and be very clear-cut about what your strengths are. And like if yeah, like you said, if you have specific um, needs for a company, or like you you want to reach a kind of mutual understanding about where you want to go, or like how the company environment is, it's the best time to do it. I will say it can also be quite um, difficult to maintain morale when you're going through the um, interview process. Hmm. You, know, you apply for jobs, you apply for jobs, you don't hear anything back. It's a no at stage one, it's a no at stage two, and it can be very demotivating. So I definitely think that's something that is a problem, but I mean, that's not that's not game dev specific. That's something that a lot of people go through, especially after university. Yeah, so you have like that transition period between uni or between different jobs. But from your personal experiences, how have you kept up your productivity and motivation as you go along? So examples different to what we've said before, just because I think it's something we all struggle with to some degree of like, you know, you get these waves of motivation or productivity and then it can stop, but or be less effective and stuff. But yeah, because you two do quite different types of jobs, it'd be interesting to hear your perspectives. 
Well, I'm a bit of a bitter Betty, sadly. <laughs> um, my thoughts are, in order to get these jobs, I need to be able to do this stuff on my own. So that's what I'm doing. I'm doing this stuff on my own to prove that I can get these jobs. And then the thinking is, well, if I can do this stuff on my own, do I need the job anymore? <laughs> uh, it just seems a little bit ridiculous to me sometimes. I remember... Um, my brother's looking at getting into software as well, and he was he was saying there's an op- application. Sorry, yeah, there was a um, a job interview where they were asking for more years of experience on a particular piece of software than that software had actually existed for. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, well, how can we have ten years experience using this when it's only been around for eight? Um, yeah, which is just absurd, but. I don't know. The game dev is, is game dev is a very um, competitive industry, so this, the bar is extremely high, and it can be difficult. So I'm I'm sort of shying away from that. I'm going to try and do my own thing uh, for myself because I you know I tried going through the interview processes and I didn't really get very far. So I would love to give advice on that field, but I clearly cannot. So my method is I'm going to try and make my own projects, beef up my portfolio, and see how things go from there. We shall see. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess I can chime in on on having a a job. I think it's good for feeling useful, and it's good for essentially learning stuff whilst getting paid for it. I don't mean that in the sense that you're terrible and you know you're learning on the job instead of doing a job, but you can improve so much just by having something that is encouraging you to do better. Um, I know my artistic skill has improved leaps and bounds. Since I started at WMG, I've used technologies that I wouldn't have used personally. I've used all of the VR devices, all of the AR devices, pretty much, bearing a few niche ones. And so like you get access to technologies you wouldn't normally have access to. You get access to um paid time with a little allowance to kind of teach yourself things the only dangers about jobs i think is when you either either the management's a little bit unclear about what the actual thing is meant to be um that can be a huge problem because that can kill your motivation if no one has any idea what it is you're actually meant to be making um and sometimes that's a problem you have to deal with yourself or sometimes it might just be that the company's not working out for you and you kind of have to choose with that sort of stuff. Um, I think as well, like if you stop learning stuff or you have no more time anymore to have any kind of like improving your skills. Um, on one side, that's valuable because it teaches you how to actually just make stuff and disregard that voice in the back of your head to make things better. But if you do too much of that, it just feels like you're churning out stuff and your time at the company is nothing but money, um, which is never good. There has to be something you're getting out of it that makes it worthwhile to keep going. Uh, and most of the time, that's something that's beyond money, unless you're particularly strapped for cash. No, I think that's pretty insightful. I, think... I was working part-time at the same time while I was um, sort of developing my game for a while, but then it got to the point where I was I didn't feel like I was dedicating enough hours to my projects, and I didn't feel like I was making enough progress, and I was you know, in a comfortable enough situation. I had enough savings that I could afford to work uh, just solely on the project and not have to worry too much about that. So I do realize I am privileged in that regard. And it's not something that everybody can do. But I knew you were talking about motivation with, you know, you do your work and then 
um, you know, you want to come home and unwind, but now you've got to do more work and it can be difficult to make progress in that regard. Yeah, I think personally, I've kind of not completely stopped, but somewhat stopped relying on motivation alone. Um, so there's something I learned during my degree um, about self-efficacy, which is where you have, so there's different levels of it, but it's generally where you have the belief in your own capabilities and your ability to respond in certain ways in a situation. So if you have high self-efficacy, you tend to look at tasks as something you want to master, which I thought was really nice. Um, but also you're able to better recover from different failures or setbacks that you experience, which I thought was really nice. Um, and the way um, you kind of do that, so this is based on Albert Bandura's theory, who's a great psychologist, and he talks about how you can use mastery of a certain activity to do this. So if you do a lot of practice, trying out different ideas and experimenting is a good way. Um, observational learning, so that's when you watch other people doing the thing you want to do. Um, so that's why on Twitter I follow quite a few people that do the job that I want to do eventually. So I see what they're writing, what they're doing, how can I follow a similar path. Uh, that's been quite helpful for me. Um, but also just having people kind of, <laughs> as weird as it sounds sometimes, so some people just boosting you up and telling you what you are actually doing well because um, that makes you feel good about yourself uh, in the sense of them being honest with you, right, and realistic, like, hey, you can work on this, but you're doing something else really well. And then that can increase your sense of, oh, I can do something eventually. So I think there's multiple factors involved, um, and it's never as simple as different types of motivation. Yeah, I mean, I personally, I find it's like, uh, I have a set efficiency for certain things, and... So I think on my own, like, say if I had, like, a 30% efficiency for doing what I actually wanted to do, and, you know, I, I get through everything and I have that 30% efficiency, great. Um, or you could do, like, a job, and maybe I now have, like, a 30% efficiency for my job and, like, 10% efficiency for my actual work. And, like, there's ways I can improve that, ways I can not prove that. Like, there's certain triggers I have for, like, knocking me out for, like, a month or two. Um, so I think for me personally, it's trying to change the way I work to improve my efficiency rather than just saying like, well, I'll just not have a job and get an extra like 20% of my time for something else. If I want something done, I'll ask someone who's busy. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That definitely does ring true. For productivity for me, I think I like lists. I'm sure I've already talked about this. I like to have a to-do list of bullet points and then as I do them, I can take them off. And I think it's equally important to see what you have actually ticked off and done because it's so easy to be like, you get to the end of the day, I have a whiteboard, you see, so I don't do my to-do lists on my whiteboard anymore because when I wipe them off, I don't see what I've actually done. So instead, I use paper and it's nice to see you get to the end of the day and it's like, okay, here's these 15 things done. There are five that I didn't get to today. That's where I'll start tomorrow. And I think also planning out your days, you finish your work and you might not finish at a point that you're happy with. Um, there might be, you know, especially with the work day, if it's five o'clock, you're probably going to want to go home at that point. I don't know. I can't imagine leaving something in the middle of coding it. That would just drive me crazy. So I think especially in those sort of scenarios, you're going to want to know exactly where you're coming in tomorrow, what parts you need to finish working on, what parts aren't working, etc. And it can be, you know, you can get to work and sort of be 
flicking around for half an hour like what am I even supposed to be doing today catching up on emails blah 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 so it's nice to just come go straight in and be like this is what I'm going to do um I've also heard it's a good idea to plan out your week think what is you gonna what is your week gonna look like and if your day doesn't pan out the way you want it to then maybe that means your week's not going to pan, pan out the way you want it to and that might mean your month's not going to pan out the way you want it to. Obviously, you don't want to spend hours and hours working on, oh, my plans change, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's a good idea, even if it's just a vague concept in your head of this date will be this point. Um, if stuff is not working or stuff has been delayed, then maybe think that point is probably going to be a little bit further down the line. And it's good to sort of just account for that and reschedule it. I, um, I was also... <laughs> it's weird because I was when I was... Um, trying to look at writing tips because I was like, I'm going to do this script. And this is the first script I've really written, except for, you know, a pantomime when I was in sixth form, but I don't think that really counts. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to do some research and just look at what good writing is, as it were. And I was going through a bunch of articles and then I ended up on a bunch of YouTube videos and they're fascinating. It was mostly about script writing for uh, directors and for movies. And um, I ended up also going into their uh, habitual practices and what they find most efficient for them. And a lot of them wake up at like the crack of dawn. It's like 4 a.m., 5 a.m., they're up and they are, they've got their coffee and no one's awake. And it's silent and they can just do two hours of solid writing. Um, and I think that's really important just to know what works for you. And there were a lot of them that came up with that. And I'm not saying, you know, the silver bullet is get up early. Because <laughs> I'm sure that doesn't work for everybody. But I think it's important to recognize what does work for you. Um, and there was a quote from Roald Dahl as well. And he said he would only work for, I think, four hours a day. I mean, you know, forgive me if I misquote. But I think he said he works for four hours a day. But he does the method where he knows exactly where he's coming in at the end. Um, because he's written it down. At the end of his period, he's written it down so he knows exactly where he's starting. And he says he doesn't go a minute over. It's important to start on time, but it's also extremely important to stop on time because you know your concentration span. You know when you're going to start to flail and tire and not do your best work. So you have to stop at that point. And also, if you stop you know, in the middle of a task, it was, it was also a comment on flow and like the myth of flow that you have to get into work and it takes like half an hour to get into your work. And he was saying that that's, you know, that's nonsense. You need to just go sit down and be in it immediately. And that's how you make the most of your time rather than having this wind up period where you're useless for half an hour until you get like fully charged or whatever you want to call it. So um, he was saying, if you, if you know where you're quitting and you just quit exactly at that point, you write down what you need to start working on. And strangely enough, if you come back in the middle of a task, you kind of already have the groundwork for the task because you've already started working on it. Whereas if you start a new day and you're like, right, I've got to code this entirely new feature, I've not even thought about the groundwork, then you could be umming and ahhing for an hour just trying to think, well, where do I do this? How does this even going to work? Whereas if you sort of put that, if you come back in the middle of a task, then it can be easy to just sort of flow straight back in. You don't have to think about the groundwork. You're just you know, if you, if you just come through into the middle of a task, typically it's you know exactly what you've got to do. you just got to do it. You don't have to really think too much about it. I don't know. That was how he said he works for writing. I'm not saying that coding is going to be the best fit for that. But I thought it was interesting. 
Yeah, I think there's an element of like working smarter rather than harder. Not that you shouldn't work hard, but like, you know, how can you maximize the time that you're putting in? So like the concept of flow is great because it's more like, you know, you get into a zone and you're able to work really well and be really engrossed in what you're working in. But then you're trying to maximize that flow is another task in itself of, okay, if I'm going to work for three hours, how can I make the most of it and enjoy it as I go along? Um, Because I know there is this whole side of social media where it's like, oh, you've got to hustle hard and work 16 hours a day. Otherwise, you're not a real entrepreneur or a developer. Um, And like, all that stuff is bullshit, right? It, you do not have to work that often or that long and grind, as it's called, till like you're not sleeping or eating. Um, you know, working hard is good and achieving things, you get that through working hard, but I think there's a limit of how you get there. So I like what Dan was saying earlier about like, you know, setting goals. Um, so something I do now is I've started using bullet journaling which is a type of journaling where you just kind of write down tasks that you're going to do in a day. And if you don't complete it that day, you can move it over to the next day. And it's something I'm trialing right now and it seems to be okay. Um, but that's really nice because breaking my big task into sh- tinier short-term goals helps you digest it easier and actually complete it easier because that feeling of ticking something off or crossing it out is really nice as well. Um, and it helps you manage your whole workload much better especially when you have different projects going on, you can do bits of different projects within a day and then call it a day. Um, But on the other hand, like we're saying, you know, what makes us more productive, something I've used a little bit is vision boards. Um, I only use them not often, but I did it recently where it's kind of like, what do I want to achieve? What things do I want to experience? And that's kind of been all right as well. The bit where I generally start like procrastinating tends to be um if if i have like like say if i've made um like i had one instance where i'd made some art for a thing but to progress any further like i wanted to make a shader that did a very specific uh lighting model and i then spent like two months on that shader and it's always that gray area that's so demotivating for me when you realize that you've got to spend so much time on something to make it good and that the time will be maybe worth it in the end because it just feels like you get to a point where you're like, I've spent so long on this, and I don't know if it's worth it. Um, the only success I've had at getting past that is by doing more like game jams and stuff, because you tend to, it's, it tends to be easier to iterate on things very fast, but I still like that extra step of like, if I'm going to polish something, and that polish is taking a while, how do I like not start to question if that time is worth anything? Kind of like a project manager job, where... You're saying, well, we need to cut this because this is going to take too long to do. It's not going to be worth the payoff. Is, you know, like you said, two months for writing one shader going to be worth it? How important is that shader? And it is weird to put that hat on, especially when, you know, you're working as the actual coder as well. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Or it's like code bloat, like you get to a point in your project with the code. You know, it kind of sucks. And you feel like you should go back to it. And that step in itself is just like, it feels like you're burning time and yeah. it can be very demotivating. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you've got to think, how long is this going to take me and is it worth it? And it can be hard to distance yourself from the project um, and, and make that decision. Yeah, I just I, sometimes I just think it's like the feeling of standing still and not making a, a lot of progress is like the easiest 
quickest way to be like completely demoralized and not want to continue with it. That's what bullet points are for. <laughs> that is true. They are they're very good. But the problem yeah. comes when you run out of bullet points. Um, and you're like, I need to fix this thing, but first I need to do all this design work to figure out what I actually need to bullet point. Not there are more bullet points. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. You then say, right, this bullet point is now five bullet points. <laughs> and and then you can still have fun taking stuff off. It works for me. To wrap things up, is there anything you guys have been using to help you build your confidence? Or general self-development that you think has been pretty useful and you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I like references so much because I am so bad at art. And if I have a bunch of art references, especially with Pure Ref, um, I can just so easily like put something together and not have to worry too much about like, what does a house look like? Because from memory, I have no idea. And that slows me down so much. Um, something I actually want currently is a Pure Ref that does give support. I think I might have mentioned it in a previous podcast, actually. Um, because a lot of the things these days like are based on like game feel and a lot of times I see them gifts or I want videos um so having something besides me as like an example of that idea in my head that I'm trying to create I guess some people also put it on paper um which I'm not so good at doing uh, especially if you have to like draw out a bunch of things and you can't really exemplify like feel or motion on paper um so something where I can visualize what it is I'm trying to the problem that I'm tackling or like what I'm trying to create, I guess, helps me a lot. I think for me, the blog posts that I write really help me. They help me for a few reasons. It gives me a chance to show people what I've actually been working on. So it's kind of like, you know, the Twitter effect that you were talking about before. You can take some screenshots and say, this is what I've been working on. This is where I got to. Uh, and if people want to leave feedback on that, then that's great. Um, but it's also for me to see exactly how much I actually did that week. It's kind of the same thing as crossing off those bullet points rather than wiping them out on the whiteboard. I can see actually how much further it is than last week. I could go back for four blog posts and see where it was a month ago and be like, oh my gosh, was that only a month ago? That felt like ancient history. And that has happened to me a few times, which is really random. But um, yeah, I, I like using the blog post. It's my way to, <laughs> it's kind of like the way to guilt trip myself into doing stuff because if I've got nothing to show for what I've done for that week, then I'm like, oh, oh God, what am I even going to write about this week? So yeah. A guilt is a really good motivator for me. <laughs> <laughs> I do like having blog posts. And, you know, no one even has to read them. Half of, I say, like, I write the blog posts half for me and half for anybody who's interested. Someone actually commented on them the other week, and I was like, oh, my God, someone's reading them. <laughs> Someone asked me, is it still being released soon? And I was like, wow, <laughs> you're actually following. So, yeah, that was um, that's what I use. I know some people, I am... A terrible human being, uh, human trash, and I don't actually back my stuff up on Git. So I don't have this, but a lot of people like to look at how often they're committing, and they use that to sort of show, you know, their progress throughout the week. And it can be good to look at a chart and say, because they have very pretty charts that show how often you committed on a particular day. You can probably even break it down by hour. It's, you know, I'm sure it's very robust. But a lot of people look at how often they committed and use that as like a general litmus test of how productive they were on a particular day and they can see where they're productive sort of recognize patterns 
of productivity. I know one of the GDC talks that we already mentioned before from a few few weeks ago talks about somebody uh, who purely based their productivity off Git commits. And he noticed that he was more productive at this time of day mm-hmm. and on a Wednesday. And he used that data sort of analytics on himself to sort of, you know, find out his triggers and which days he was good at and, you know, why was he bad? And he had the same thing as me. He had the guilt thing on a Friday where he would do tons of commits on Friday because he's like, I've done nothing this week. So, you know, I don't know, recognizing those patterns is important. And I think a lot of people use Git commits for that. Yeah, and well, like you're saying with the guilt stuff, like events are pretty good if you go to a lot of events where people are like, "Who are you and what do you do?" Because if you haven't done anything for ages, you just feel like a complete trash panda. Um, and then next time you go to the events and they're like, "Who are you and what do you do?" and you're like, "Boom, I did something in between because I felt really bad last time." Yeah, <laughs> no, I could definitely relate to that. The only other thing I was going to mention, tools-wise, was gamification tools. And I've not really used them myself, but um, there are tools out there. It's, it's basically the gamification of general to-do lists, and you get rewarded XP for doing tasks that you put on your to-do lists. And you know your to-do lists are quests or dailies or whatever you want to call them. Um, I haven't looked into using those, but it's something that I've heard of, and I think it helps a few people. So. Consider checking those out, especially for the gamers who are very dedicated and do their dailies. For me, it's mainly just the blog posts. Oh, that's quite interesting. Um, so an app I've heard of that some people use is called Allobud. So essentially, it's a, a self-care app. So it might send you push notifications to remind you to do certain things, um, depending on what activities you've put in. But it could just literally be something like take a break do some rest or something and a lot of people have been enjoying it so it's a lot of yeah a lot of mental health type of stuff it's like sometimes you forget to do a lot of simple things um and then it's got other self-care tracking stuff like activity tracking but also like encouraging mindfulness which is really nice um so often when i'm working some part of my day i'll take some time out just to relax or you know, indulge in some type of activity that can help with self-development. So I might do some reading on a topic outside of games because then that builds you like your comprehension and vocab skills. Because I think something that we end up forgetting is that we kind of just end up embedded within this one part of the industry because we love what we're doing, what we are doing, sorry. Um, And sometimes we can forget to work on ourselves or look at outside influences that can help us work better and be better as we go along. and then I've also been using something called Product Hunt Makers, which is just a space online where you can put some some of your goals down and then you can speak to different people about them. So it's kind of an environment where you kind of encourage to meet your goals because there's people kind of liking your goals that you've put on there. Um, that's something we're experimenting with and it's quite nice because you get some feedback on what you do so you can put your projects up there. So sometimes... The self-development doesn't just come from internally, it can come from people outside encouraging you to do pretty well as well. I have heard of self-care apps, and I do think, you know, they can be very helpful for some people, because like you said, it's just the little things you think about, you forget about. It's even, you know, on streams, I watch a lot of streams, and they have hydration bot. He's always there to tell them when it's time to drink a glass of water. So, (laughs) I think, you know, 
kind of in the same vein. That's an interesting avenue we're going down now. Where we're trying to use different resources and technical stuff to help us just remember to do simple things and help ourselves grow. Um, I think this was a really int- interesting discussion on self-development, though. I think realizing how complex it is, but also how much support there is out there. But yeah, I think this was really fun. So thank you to everyone for listening to our episode. Um, do leave us any comments on Twitter, and you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you have any thoughts on self-development, then let us know. Um, I know it's quite a topical topic as well. But otherwise, yeah, we'll see you next time with our special guest on a really interesting episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.